Hi, Vince. How's it going? Fantastic, Jeremiah. How are you? I'm doing great, actually. Uh, we're doing this on a Friday instead of a Wednesday. So it feels a little better. But yeah, it's good to, good to talk to you. We should probably get through with the, the disclaimer that uh, all of our views are not the views of our employers who we like very much and we want them to uh, uh, continue to employ us despite whatever views we have. <laughs> I don't know if that really works these days, but you know, we'd like them to continue to employ us without paying attention to the podcast. So um, yeah, what, uh, we were talking uh, just before this. Uh, what do you want to talk about today? So let's talk about um, retention and attrition in, uh, in IT. Notoriously oh, yeah. job, <laughs> right? It is such a, that is such a pain. And, you know, it is like the big, you, you get a, you get a guy fresh out of, uh, you know, the senior dev architecture role and you put him into a manager role. That is the primary, almost his most important job is hiring and retaining people, right? Because they're like, you're awesome. Now we need 10 of you. Make 10 of you happen by hiring a bunch of people. And by the way, keeping them on. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Well, at the same time, right? Make sure that the people you have are all doing the best work that they can be doing. Right. So upskill the people that you have while bringing in new people. Yeah. That actually helps with the retention part. People like being upskilled. They're like, oh, well, look, this is helping my career and my personal advancement. So yeah. So hiring is a total pain. Uh, everyone has to do it. It's, it's cool when you get good people, right? I mean, it's awesome. But the prospect of like, I got to interview 12 people and then get this, put this offer out and then the offer fails and I got to go, you know, interview another 12 people over, you know, just can be super grinding. So yeah, you, um, one of the things you were uh, talking about was the, uh, these surveys that come out that sort of help with, you know, salary, uh, salary yeah. numbers and things like that. So um, to start it off, right, like in an organization, like in the IT sector in general, there's higher attrition than any other, any other sector in the economy, right? So the average tenure of people in IT tends to be lower than in any other industry. So we end up having to do more hiring. On top of that, right, we tend to have a lot of growth in a lot of organizations and in technology. So yeah, hiring is, is particularly interesting in IT. That, that, you know, the flip side of that lack of tenure is people are extremely concerned about skills growth. Because nobody, nobody uh, not very many people, yeah. believe that the company they're going to work for is going to be like their cradle to grave, like they're going to be there 50 years from now, right? So, so there's a definite like, hey, I want this to be advantageous for me as well as for you, right? Like there's a deal here and everyone has to hold up their part of the deal. Otherwise, there's a yeah. certain amount of dis dissatisfaction that happens. So. so maybe let's start off talking about like normal organizational cycles that, that go on how HR has to deal with that sort of thing. And then, and then the problems that, that, that comes up for IT because okay, of that. Sure, sounds like so a good plan. Most, most HR organizations create kind of job roles, right? So they'll say senior developer, architect, and grades and, and a whole range of those sorts of things, right? But they'll, they'll take that role and they'll try to figure out what is the pay range that we should be paying, right? What's the, the median pay for that? You know, what's the target price for market? And then are we paying above or below that? Yep. And what's like the minimum and maximum for that range? Right? So, so they look at all these different types of surveys that come out every year, you know, Dice or Monster or Robert Half. And they also look at their local, uh, wherever the office is, you know, maybe, maybe less these days with, with more and more that's happening remotely. That right? is totally a good sidebar. Yeah. Well, okay, keep going. <laughs> 
But but they'll look at that and they'll they'll try to make an adjustment yearly that says, all right, here's what happened and how that should affect our pay. Ideally, they should be keeping pace with market. And there are a lot of IT skills, right, that are increasing in, in terms of demand. So say a senior developer, right, who does um, Node.js and, and React or Vue or, or some other framework, right, maybe the market every year in that location is increasing by 5%, mm-hmm. right? Um, if it's increasing by 10, right, then you've got, you know, you, you basically you want to keep parity with, with market. and. Yep. And then you want to make sure that reflects on the existing employees, right? So I've been in organizations where, you know, they, they'll certainly grade those things on a band, but they'll target giving people a 2 to 3% increase, right? Which, you know, good that it's keeping up with inflation, right? But bad if it's, if it's underperforming market. And what tends to happen over the course of a period of time, right, is somebody is not keeping pace with, with what the market says they should be paid. And new people may be coming in much higher than they they came in at. Yeah, and and that's called some pretty- salary inversion, right? Where you, internally in an organization you're not keeping parity with market. And HR will look at those things and say, okay, well, you know, it, since we haven't kept pace, now that somebody's screaming about it, or there's a problem, or people have left, then they'll start to do an adjustment and and force that that band to be regraded. So if your organization is not a technology organization, that means most of what your HR is doing is not technology stuff, right? And it's- And they're gonna have a be... really hard time understanding this, right? Yeah. Because, you know, the, the, other, the other departments, the salaries are sort of you know, 3% increase every year, pretty easy to understand. So think of it from an HR person's perspective, right? Yeah, go for it. They're, they're hiring, they've been doing this for 20 years in HR, they're getting paid 75 grand a year, they see, okay, that you need three years of experience on this IT skill set and somebody's coming in with a total comp of, of 150 a year and, and they're pissed that they're not getting a 10% increase. And this HR yeah. person says, well, that's not fair to the rest of the company, but you know, it's a supply and demand thing. Absolutely. Those special skills are particularly difficult to deal with on a monetary basis. Yeah, it can be really, really hard to under, like, like people have to, really pay for quite good salary surveys in order to to filter down on that particular special skill and determine whether or not they're in band or not. And and even despite that, you're you're absolutely going to have the guy who's like, hey, you know what? I can get more going over here to some mega corp and he'll walk and and you'll be like, well yeah, you can get more over there, but the experience is worse. Yeah, you're gonna you're gonna have a hard time actually doing the the cool things that you like to do and growing the way you want to do because you're gonna be kind of slotted into a particular responsibility and kind of stuck there for a good while. Uh, I mean, it's not like there's no growth, right? But I mean, like you know, uh, there, there's a, it's a lot more crowded, right? You're instead of being a big fish in a small pond, you're well, average fish. So that can be they'll still walk because I mean, you know, again, some of these companies have have deep pockets and are like, you know, it's this it's this kind of contract where it's like hey the, the work experience is going to be rough you're not going to really have like friends uh in your group you're all here to like crush it on a particular project but we'll pay you right and then that's really attractive to some people right and it can be and it's it's actually worse uh so we're in the southeast right constantly getting 
sort of beating beating away HR representatives from the east from the west coast or from you know the Boston DC area or something who are like, hey man, we can give you this massive bump if you come. You, you really have to educate your employees on, hey, this seems this seems good and there's a lot of you know tasty numbers in here that are really exciting. But once you once you put in like a, go to a calculator that's like a cost of living calculator, right? Yeah. <laughs> and put you know the, the salary you're getting here and the salary you're getting there, and it's a lot less than you think, right? And that can be that can help somewhat. But if you're not living in San Francisco and a recruiter from San Francisco really wants to like snipe one of your guys, there's almost uh, you know they can throw so much money on the table mm -hmm. compared to any place else in the country that uh, it, it can be really hard. So, <laughs> yeah. So that's interesting, right? So let's, let's talk about the reasons people leave, right? Having, sure. having pay be completely off, you know, that that's, that's a, certainly something that leads to dissatisfaction, right? More so when it's off to peers, right? So if you're working along other people doing the same type of work and you feel like compensation is wildly unfair, that's going to be a problem in, in any organization, right? Absolutely. And it's going to be a problem if your organization, even if you're all getting paid the same, if, if that's so far away from what's happening in the market. The location differences aside, which some people don't really know how to, how to calculate. But other, yep. other reasons people leave, right? So manager. Right. That's actually like the number one reason. Oh, right? yeah. Yeah. People quit managers more than anything else. You know, it's yes. just, I mean, honestly, your manager is the person who is the most significant in making you hate or love your job. Right. I mean, like yeah. the whole company, this is a, this is a huge problem. The whole company might, you know, it might be SpaceX. They might be building spaceships and, and going to Mars. And like, that's awesome. And everybody wants to go to yeah. Mars. Right. But your manager maybe a horrible person <laughs> and you're like, all right, look, much of love going to Mars. I can't do it. Going to have to leave yeah. SpaceX and go to some other company because I can't get out of this guy, you know, get, get away from well, this. This one's definitely, I mean, th this is a deep topic and we could, we should spend a couple of episodes talking about this one, but uh, <laughs> yeah, but yeah well, that's kind of one reason, yeah. right. Is, is firing your manager, right? If you have a manager that, or, or you know, any, any person, right. You, you really want somebody there to help lead. Right, somebody who can help share the vision, and and the the reason why you and and this part of the organization is there. You can connect that to the broader mission of the organization. Hopefully, that's something good, right? Because yep. if it's not something good, then you demand generally more money. Yeah, right. So sort of compensate. Yes, absolutely. But right. So so they're representing the organization, and 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 I've had these definitely these arguments both with managers and and talked about it with um subordinates right and it's you know as a manager you have to do the company's part and if you've got an employee who's doing a great job for you you want the company and, and you through the company right to do a great job for that employee yep absolutely and that and that i mean generally the people this you know in the middle of the organization generally their entire um vertical stack understands that and you can make that case to the people above you, right? Hey, you know, this person is a rock star on the team. They, they help everyone else. We have to make sure that they're happy. Like if I, ha if we have to divvy up the budget in an unusual way for this particular guy, this is worth it. And I think people are generally okay with that understanding, but it is, it is definitely the, 
the manager's responsibility to identify those people and make sure that those people are doing okay. Yeah. So, of so course, that like leads to that problem of disparity in pay if other people start yeah. finding those out, which is can lead to some awkward conversations. But again, like a good manager should be able to say, look, you know, like we're not a fam, we're not all siblings, right? Like we are trying to crush it. And this person, there's a reason they're getting paid more as opposed to we hired this person in 2020 and we hired you in 2017. <laughs> right. That's, right. Not, that's, that's, not a good, that's not a good reason. <laughs> so HR's normal process, right, in terms of compensation should help cover those things. And certainly there are gaps. Mm -hmm. And and the way they address these right through yearly cycles and and through market surveys of what those salaries are. And then there's like the the annual budget process, which is going to be a little bit different in every organization, whether it's a fiscal calendar or, you know, just at the start of the year. But you'll have a certain like managers have more latitudes at certain times of the year. Right. When when you know what the ask is going to be going into planning. If you know somebody is upset with their salary or is at higher risk because of that, going through the budget process, you may be able to to do a little bit more in planning for that ahead of when the annual review comes in. Absolutely. Yeah, you definitely want to sort of plan your asks for before the budget is figured out. (laughs) That's right. Yeah. You know, the worst, worst thing is to go to bat for somebody, right, to find, get more money to go through getting 10% or whatever that is and to have to sort through HR and, and compensation committees and everything else than to go back to the person and say, and, and they'll, they'll be like upset to say, Oh, I, I expected 11 or 12% and over one or 2%, you got to think some, at some point, you know, you can, you can only push the system so far in, in, in increments. And sometimes you need some sort of exceptional event, like somebody coming in with an offer letter to give you the ammunition to go back and say, we need to go above and beyond and and i don't care about the process because if we don't do it there there are consequences fair enough there there are other things you can work with people on though right that um will help retention right yeah. not just not just pay stuff i mean do you want to keep going down the hr path or do you want to do you want to start talking about things like uh work from home uh you know skills building giving giving yeah, so- people a sense of direction so let's talk about that, right? That's interesting, right? Because there's there's certain things that you have to get through the organization, like mm. like budget, like pay, and then maybe some benefits, right? Like educational reimbursement and those things that are that are like standard company offers. But generally, as a as a manager, right, you have latitude in in preferential assignments. You mm-hmm. have some amount of latitude in in comp time. And and maybe even some latitude in training, right? I've definitely seen organizations that monitor for fairness in training budgets and maybe allocate just a certain amount to each individual. And then I've seen them that that come into a pool and it's at manager's discretion what to do with that. I don't think I've ever been at a company that has cared about fairness in the training budget because they're just always like, please take more training. And like, we, you know, we're looking at the numbers and only 30% are doing the training, you know? I've never had that problem. I've always had the, our training budget so limited that everybody can do some online stuff and local stuff and only a couple of people can actually travel anywhere. Oh, okay. Yeah. I I actually, all those stuff that there's not a lot, there's not like a big travel budget for training. Yeah. I hadn't thought about that. But those are great benefits, right? And yeah, people like that. You know, certainly as, as, as a leader, right. You need to make sure you're fair with that. Right. So typically 
if somebody goes to some cool event, right? They go to Red Hat Summit or AWS reInvent or, or even Google's Next conference, right? Maybe they don't get a turn next year, right? Maybe that's somebody else's <laughs> turn because there's only so much budget to go around. But yeah, they can go and do all things open as an online event. But yeah, that, that also sort of goes into, again, this is, you know, this is a contract of people who are fully expecting to get their skills improved over the course of the time that they're working for the company. And yeah. so you absolutely have to be paying attention to uh, growing skills. And I mean, we, we are actually in a, an enormously cost-effective time for that, right? Because it is COVID, everyone's working from home. And what all the companies are doing in order to sort of kind of keep mindshare because they can't uh, reach out and touch people the way they used to, is they're offering enormous amounts of training for basically nothing. I think for free, but maybe some places are charging a little bit, but there's massive yeah. discounts. And so you should be able to be like, hey, you know what? You know, take these skills that you sort of have always talked about wanting to have. This is the time to level up on that stuff. And it can take yeah. a little time to encourage people with that, but yeah. And interestingly, I, you know, I've been in, in positions where there's training budget and there's encouragement for that sort of thing. And I've got great vacation time, PTO time policies. And then there's so much work that I can never actually do any of that. That's sucks when that happens. Um, and, and you know, that, that like, that's good for a while, but that can't be all the time. You can have like a crunch time when you're like, hey, we gotta get this thing released, you know, July 1st or whatever. And sure. So, but that, that's a, but that's a, one of the reasons why people leave, right? Is is this workload fair? Am I being asked to do something that's reasonable? And and you know, and am I being reasonably rewarded for that, right? So, if you're being asked to put in sixty hours a week, and you you have to go above and beyond like that for some period of time, management should be going above and beyond for you. And I've definitely, you know, it's when, in situations where people feel like the demands are for that all the time and there's no reward for it right so absolutely and and that's again like these these companies that can hire your your people away at whatever price that workload thing gets to be a grind real yeah. fast right i mean like if you're 26 you're like yeah dude i'm gonna i'm gonna do 80 90 hours a week because i'm gonna get paid right that's fine yeah. but many many people are like i have actually other things i like in life <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that does change over time, right? And and but but that's a that's an important calculation, right? It's what am I getting paid per hour that I'm working, and that that's got to include commute time, right? Which in New York and different parts of California can be horrendous, mm -hmm. right? So think yeah. about what you're paid per hour for the total time that you're away from your home or your family. Good point. Um, you know what, you bring up another thing that we, we got to make sure to talk about, which is what the heck's going on with how remote work is just screwing this whole calculation, <laughs> especially well, for the expensive places. So um, almost everybody now has remote work as a benefit or will have some amount of it going forward. I mean, I don't think there's any way you can, in all honesty, be like, oh, well, remote work doesn't work for us. We've just been doing it for, you know, eight months to keep the lights on, but everyone back to nine to five in the office from now on. Yeah, um, I actually think it's going to change architecture, that it's going to change the way we build houses so that people will start to build houses with offices in a way that they, you know, it, it's kind of a luxury item in houses today, yeah. but it'll become more of a standard. And it'll yeah, I think, I think the, the open floor plan is wearing on some people a little bit. Oh, my goodness. I hadn't even thought about it. Of course, I'm closed floor plan in this building. But, uh, but yes, I <laughs> hadn't thought about yeah. that. Yeah, so certain certain dynamics like that are are changing. 
I mean, then it'll in turn change the offices, right? Offices will no longer be like, we need the entire workforce here all the time. Yeah. Yeah, that hotel office thing is going to become really popular. Kind of the we work, like, hey, office is this cool party you can come to. Yeah. There'll be a lot everybody, more of that. Which everybody always, always used to um, worry about getting flagged by the IRS for audit if they started marking off home office, right? As, uh, <laughs> as, yeah. as And that's going to be like standard, right? So a good third or half the country right now has home office expenses that are going to they're going to hit the irs and they're just going to have to start leaving that one alone it's going to be crazy i don't know how that's going to, how that's going to work but, but yeah so so that's a problem and then like the whole you're compensating people based on where they live right you're you're, you're paying yeah. a guy an enormous amount of money because he's going to live in manhattan and, and life's going to be you know really expensive and then everyone's working from home and then you're like well the guy in nearshoring, right? The guy in Iowa who is just as good as the guy in Manhattan, give or take, yeah. a lot cheaper. And then, like, how? What? What does your HR department say when you say, "I got to hire the guy in Manhattan, and I got to pay him more because he lives in Manhattan"? And they're like, "But he doesn't have to live in Manhattan." Yeah. So this is going to be really interesting over the next couple of years to see how well this equalizes across the country, right? So if you're in Manhattan and you demand that people are there five days a week, you're certainly gonna to have to pay a premium for that, right? Because their, their costs are gonna be definitely Manhattan costs or they're gonna be Jersey costs and they're gonna have crazy commutes. But mm -hmm. if, if they have to show up one day a week, is it worth demanding, you know, demanding that they show up one day a week and have to pay them double because they have to be in that sort of geographic proximity? Right. Or uh, you could be like, hey, you have to show up in a office one day a week and we have five offices one yeah. of which is in Manhattan and one of which is in Indianapolis. And uh, we're going to pay you on the Indianapolis rate. You can live wherever you want. <laughs> you yeah. have to show up in a office. <laughs> so. Yeah, so it's going to be interesting, right, to see how, how people spread out across the country in terms of lowering their costs of living or trying to improve their quality of life and trying to maintain the salary from, you know, a, a geographic area that was typically higher. Yeah, I, I have no idea how that's going to work, but it'll be really, really weird to see what happens next year. Because, I mean, you know, you've seen the, the, the salary graphs for like San Francisco and D.C. and New York, right? They're just constantly, you know, up and to the right, up and to the right, you know, year upon year upon year. And I mean, it's not like the HR departments are ignorant of what's happening. They are, <laughs> I believe they have noticed. And uh, they may say to all their managers next year, hey, we're going to have to have a significant readjustment of what's about to happen, which that's again, a significant chunk of bad news for people in the big yeah. cities as if they haven't had enough bad news already. And it's going to complete like it. So right. HR usually looks at that and say, all right, what is the average by state? What's the average for the Metro area that we're generally hiring in? And mm -hmm. the way they do all of those things is going to have to start to change, right. As, as people get more spread out. And, and the salary doesn't get adjusted, you know, so much based on that. And, yeah. uh, and it's going to take them a couple of years, right? So they're bound to screw it up the first year, right, in, in some way. And nobody wants to feel like their company is taking advantage of them, right? Oh, we can just, you know, twist the screws on everyone and drop it down to, down to Iowa levels of income, right? right. And <laughs> we're going to save all this money off our San Francisco headcount that is going to suck that people are not going to want that <laughs> so man you know what we've been doing this for half an hour i feel like we're only halfway done with this we should keep this going next time um, yeah 
I don't know. I mean, like, I feel like we like there's, there's been a lot of good, yeah, there's been a lot of good topics here. Uh, but I, I do want to sort of keep these conversations at about a half hour. Do we want to sum up anything that we've been talking about here? Let's see. You know, get get your budget in early because uh, that's important. Uh, be careful of Sally inversion. That's a huge pain, and you have to have a good story for it because uh, employees will talk. They will compare. And nothing pisses people off more than finding out that they're getting paid significantly yeah. less than their peers. Yeah, I, personally, I'm a fan of salary transparency within organizations. As a manager, it forces you to address those those areas of, of inequity. You're right. It's like it's like that sort of lots of little pains rather than the big break. You know, you don't you don't want your 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 top architect storming out because they realize they got paid you know thirty thousand less for years than someone else. That's not worth it. So you're right. That's probably that's probably a good idea. It is. You do have a lot of painful conversations when that starts happening, though. And even recently, uh, it, Microsoft's uh, you know people posting in uh, in Google Docs of all of all things, Google spreadsheet. You know. Oh, did that happen? It's been a yearly thing where different people in the organization start posting their role, but also gender and race. And salary transparency is really a good way to fix those sorts of things, right? Organizations try to do that that internally and maybe move the needle a little bit, but boy, when people go public with it, it changes mighty quickly. It's it's also like different people have different sets of interests about this, right? Like the HR person who's trying to just balance all the salaries, they, they are concerned about it, but they're concerned about a lot of different things at, at different levels, right? Whereas the individual people are much more concerned about their less salary compared to everyone else around them. So they're a little bit more of a, a better advocate for that kind of thing. Yeah, uh, skills, right? Uh, obviously, skills and um, sort of a fair day's pay for a fair day's work kind of thing. You know, those those can be again if someone's trying to you know snipe your snipe your uh, employees because they're at a at a deep pocketed company or in a very expensive part of the country. These can be things that you can use to offset that and be like, hey, you know what? You have these things happening which are actually very much worth it and they should be valued. It can be different. Yeah, I'd always I'd always caution people to to look at the the total compensation package, right? And value all of those different components of it, right? 401k matching, education benefits, some things, right, may not actually be a benefit to you, whereas whereas others may be a big benefit to you. And and how to value those things is going to be different to each individual. Absolutely. If you're you know young and you only and, and you're willing to put in 80 plus hours a week. Maybe you want that hourly rate, right? And you don't care as much about the other benefits, especially if you can still uh, ride your parents' insurance. Absolutely. I was working at a company that had this like awesome 401k deal. Really nice. And like people were locked in for that, right? They were like, you know, I got other opportunities, but this thing is going to really help with uh, my 401k. So I'm here for a significant amount of time to make that, make that thing grow. And that was like a huge benefit for them. Pensions, but yeah, but but, RS, but the, or even RSU programs, right, are, are bigger for that too. You know, I mean, I think the other, the important thing, the last important takeaway is that there are, it's a it's a really busy market. There's a lot of stuff going on. There's absolutely no way that you're going to hold on to your team. People are going to yeah. move around. It's just the way it is, and your responsibility is building that team back up because they want they want ten of you, which means that you're going to be interviewing people all the time and talking to people all the time. It, it's never going to stop. And yes, and, and, and like you got to keep everyone trained up. So when that, that star guy decides to leave, you have someone to, to backfill them because that's going to wreck your whole, whole year uh, yeah. when that happens. And it will happen. It will happen, by the way, just after you've gone to bat for him. 
just yeah. after you've like gone to the upper management and been like, we got to save this guy. We got to really, you know, drop a bag of gold in his lap. So he stays and you drop the bag of gold in his lap. And he's like, and I took an offer. <laughs> like, yeah. no. I caution people not to, not to overcorrect for that, right? Not to try to make everything happen through paperwork and formal process. And to the point where you, people are only like fungible resources to be, to be fit into slots. So the pendulum can definitely go too far in correcting for that. But okay, fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah, I mean, it is, you know, you, um, it is when people like are there, have formed relationships, and have built context, right? That they can get to really high performance. Yeah. No, you're right about that. But I mean, it's going to happen, right? You like yeah, it's just right. part of life. <laughs> people, people are going to move around, so you're going to be you're going to be having to hire people and having to come up with creative ways to retain them. Yep. And I've, I've lost great people before and I, I wish them well, wherever they are. Right. <laughs> <laughs> they're in their, they're in their uh, open plan offices trying to figure <laughs> out what, what they're, what's going on with their lives. Yep. All right. right now uh, you, can assume that you can assume they're working from home and dealing with the same crap you are. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Right. <laughs> All right. Well, this, this has been fun. We should, we should keep this going. Uh, maybe a little bit more about, uh, like, you know, hiring next time. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. We'll we'll try to think of something. Okay, oh, yeah. the actual like inter so interview process. Hiring. What? We'll oh, like all the interviews. Yeah. Right. All right. Cool. Well, thank you very much, and have a great afternoon. You too, Jeremiah.